Hello and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. The goal of this show is to educate, eradicate, and to dismantle racism. We really want to create a world where racial equity exists for everyone. I'm so excited that you have joined me today to listen to the show, whether you're listening live or whether you're listening to it as a rerun. I do want to invite you, if you would, to please subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about the show as well. Create some buzz about the show. And then also let us know the topics that you would be interested in hearing about on this show. Let us know what some of your experiences have been with dismantling racism. I'd love to hear from you. And then finally, I want to invite you to go to sacredintelligence.com, see what I have going on there. And I want to just add if you enjoy the show and you are interested in becoming a patron of the show to help support this show to continue on the air, I invite you to go to sacredintelligence.com, check out what I have going on there, and then also contact me and let me know that you would be interested and we will engage in a further conversation about it. Now let's get to it because I'm really excited about the show today. We are doing part three of what made me who I am. Not only do I have returning guest interviewer, archivist Angela Todd here, but I have my daughter, my youngest daughter with me today, because we're going to be looking at this thing generationally. And that also explains why I have Spellman on my shirt, because it says Spellman mom, because as you know, I went to the number one HBCU, Howard University, so I don't want there to be any confusion around the t-shirt. Is I love supporting her and all that she does, and I absolutely love Spelman uh, as well. And so that's why I do, though, have a shirt on, because I don't usually have uh, a t-shirt on, but I'm just tickled, tickled, tickled to have her with me today. I do want to get started, as I always do, and invite us into a time of meditation. So if you would, just please close your eyes. Plant your feet solidly on the floor, or if you're outside, which is a nice place to be, plant your feet on the ground. And if you happen to be sitting, I want you to feel the chair supporting you. And know that you are supported by the universe. You are wrapped in divine love. You are unconditionally loved. You are divinely created. You are the manifestation of something that is great and powerful. You come from that. You are that. And there's nothing that you cannot do. And so you just breathe in and out, recognizing your power. And when that power is infused with other people who are on the same journey, we can change the world. We are meant for greatness. We're meant for harmony. We are meant for compassion and kindness 
We're not to live in places of fear and scarcity. Because that's what racism is about. We're not meant to be elevated from someone else's weaknesses. But we're actually meant to elevate them even as we elevate ourselves. So that we all live in a place of abundance and equity and health and good education, good housing, great finances. You are part of changing the system. So just connect with yourself. Connect with your foundation. And know that just as you are supported, you are meant to support others. So just breathe in and out. And then recognize that the power of one contributes to the power of community. And together we can change the status quo. So just take another deep breath in. And then exhale slowly. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes and we shall begin. So good morning again. Good morning. Good morning. I am not going to waste any time. I had so much fun last week with Angela on the show and she's back again. Angela is the consummate archivist. And she makes sure that every conversation we have, she's always telling me what I can put in the files to keep and why it is so important. And I so deeply appreciate her. And I just want to say, really, Angela is the impetus for what I'm doing this month um, in the way that I'm carrying it out. My plan was on the first week. I knew I wanted to do one week of talking about what made me who I am. And I wanted to bring my mother into that conversation. But when I got on the phone with Angela, she was like, wait, wait, wait. And so we charted out something for the entire month. And in doing so, this isn't just a show that's um, simply dismantling racism. That's important and that's great. But what Angela has taught me to do through this is to be sure that I download these episodes so they don't get lost if someone else takes over where these videos are housed. She's saying download them because this is history. Not only is this woman history, it's black history. And Angela talks a lot about how our stories, and we know this, those of us who are black, are often missing from history. I've taken a course with Angela on learning how to track my family history. And she's been very instrumental in putting a fire under me in terms of just how I keep those documents. And she's committed, particularly 
to helping women of color find their stories. She works with anybody. Yes, 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 she does. But she has a passion. This is Angela's way of dismantling racism because we all have a way in which we can engage in the process. You can still do what you love and what you're passionate about, but just don't forget the ways in which you can dismantle racism. So I'm so grateful to have my dear friend, the archivist, the historian, Angela Todd, as my guest interviewer today. So Angela, I'm going to turn it over to you and um, let you just dig in and ask the questions that you have. And of course, you all heard me say that Tila Avery is my daughter as well. She is a guest on the show because I don't want to uh, not introduce my baby girl for the show today. Um, but she, you will learn more about her as we go on. She is a student at Spelman and um, she is just doing some amazing things in the world. And I'm just, again, delighted to have both of them on the show. So Angela, it's all yours. Well, thank you for that. That was humbling at, at best, but I will say that Black women's history is the most fragile that I can think of in the moment. And not only were the documents not saved in real time throughout history, <clears throat> but if you've got documentation, I urge you to gather it <clears throat> and save it in a facility because you're our last stop, right? To being able to capture what really happened. Oh, excuse me. And I think that as, you know, the Tulsa massacre has become into the purview of mainstream culture, we'll call it, or white culture or whatever, and we've learned about all that's been missing, you know, even in those places where archives have been saved, files get checked out and never returned or whatever. So you might have documents that you don't realize people are really looking for. So anyway, thank you for that. So I want to start off with this quote. I've heard you say this at your retreats. <clears throat> and we started, man, when we started talking about this interview, you said, oh, I'm spoiled. I'm just not spoiled rotten. <laughs> and I wonder if you'd talk about your family and where you are in the birth order. And Tila, feel free to chime in at any point and say, yes, she's spoiled rotten. <laughs> I don't think, so first of all, I don't think that Tila would say that because Tila is spoiled rotten to a degree, right? So, so you know, babies in our families, they always carry a special place, I think. And that's why my daughter and I actually tease Tila because she's the youngest grandchild, not great-grandchild or any of that, but she's the youngest grandchild. So what I mean by being spoiled, but not spoiled rotten, I... I just knew my family loved me so unconditionally. And I think as the baby of the family, I do think that I was doted on in a way. I think that they probably sometimes still uh, might dote on me in a way, but most of it goes to my kids, I would say right now. But like, I just knew, I I knew, like I have an older brother who's, um, all my brothers are over six feet, but one of them, like when I got my PhD, I have a picture of me jumping up on his back, you know, just like, you know, him loving me and like the way all of my family came when I um, got my PhD, the way they've just supported me in so many ways. And so I think 
people who are spoiled, rotten, can sometimes end up being, it's all about me, me, me. Um, And that's what I mean when I say I'm not spoiled, rotten. And so with that caveat, I would say Teal is not spoiled, rotten, you know, like she knows that she has to be sensitive and compassionate and all of that to others. But but she she does sometimes take advantage, I would say, of she's rolling eyes of 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 things like, you know, when she might ask an aunt, oh, could you do this for me? So well, now that actually gives me so I want to be clear, you're both the youngest child in your families and you yes. can let that slip in there. Carolyn, how many brothers and sisters do you have? And because this is Women's History Month, we got to kind of prioritize those sisters slash aunties. So I have seven. Well, I have six sisters because I, I make seven. So there were seven girls and three boys. And then one sister um, is deceased. Um, I still speak of her in the sense of I have because she's still forever, forever, ever with me. So um so yeah in our family there tends to be more women in the family than men even when you look at nieces and nephews they're just they're just more of us so um so there's definitely a difference between the women in the family and the men in the family and and the way we refer to ourselves even now as the boys and the girls even though we're old folk now but we still, you know, uh, we'll, we'll speak in those terms. So that's eight, seven girls plus your mom makes eight. Mm-hmm. I'd almost call that a matriarchy. Hmm. Oh, it definitely. <laughs> it definitely, definitely was. Look, we, we, my mom, I was, so it's interesting because my mom and dad, um, you know, my dad lived to 86, my mom to 94, and things did center around their house because we all lived there on what we call the Curry compound, right? You know, my there was our house and then there's sister's house and then cousin house, sister house, like, like all of us there. And people would gather in that space, you know, to, to go and sit with my mom or sit with my dad when we all come home. It's just a great, it's like the most beautiful, beautiful feeling. And, but, but mom was definitely, yeah, she's, she's a matriarch. There's, there's no, there's no doubt about that, that she was the matriarch of our family and that, uh, yes, we listened to dad, but it was mama that you really listened to. First of all, I have to add this. Mom was the disciplinarian. Huh? And, you know, this might be a cultural thing, too, because I grew up with hearing like on TV, the white people say, you just wait till your dad get home. Mm. Like when dad gets home, there was none of that. Ours would have been more of like when dad got home, dad, please tell mom, you know, (laughs) I've been that kind of thing because she my mother could look at us. And you better stop doing whatever it was you were doing. Or if I was mouthing my father, God forbid. No, but as a teenager, if I was mouthing my father, she would say, that's your daddy. Mm -hmm. 
Or or she would say to one of my sisters, she would say, now your father's already told you. Mm -hmm. And we knew don't make her have to tell us. And, you know, I once had someone say to me, well, did that make you afraid of your mom? I was like, no, I wasn't afraid of her. You just knew that you had to do what you were supposed to do because we were just encased in so much love. There's a consequence if you don't do what you're supposed to do. That's it, right? So we just have a little bit until our next break, but when we do come back, I want to ask Tila to weigh in on the curry compound. Have you been there, Tila? It's still going? Awesome. And um, what you think about what your mom just said, and then we're going to turn to the sisters because, Terilyn, you've told me that your sisters were models for you. And then Tila, after, so we're going to talk about the curry compound and then the sisters. And after Terilyn tells us her version, I want to hear what you have to say about all those aunties. Because this is a rare opportunity to have these, you know, really four generations represented. Mm. So I'm excited. All right. Well, we'll be right back. Excellent. Well, we are right back uh, on on the on air, and we're going to be right back again after this commercial. We have to take a really, really quick commercial break. Well, we seem to be having a little bit of some technical difficulties. So, Angela, we're going to just jump right on back in there. Excellent. The more time, the better, I say. Mm. Um, So we talked a little before the almost break about the curry compound. And, Tila, what's your experience of that? So I know Terilyn grew up with all those sisters and cousins' houses really in close proximity. What was it like for you? Unmute yourself. I was. (laughs) Um, I think as I've grown, um, I've started to appreciate the curry compound more. Like when I was younger, it was like, okay, we're going to Mississippi. This environment is completely different from Connecticut. You know, completely different. And when I was younger, it was about like, oh, there's not really Wi-Fi, and like, you know, you're kind of just like sitting around but as I've grown up I've started to appreciate that more and Mm -hmm. not been so centered on like technology um and just learning to take the time to kind of just be with everyone and just nurture those relationships like you know popping in and out of the kitchen or like laying on the couch when my grandma was watching her shows um 
and kind of just knowing that I can joke and laugh and smile with everyone and also just watch the different dynamics that are happening within my family. Um, And so that's definitely something that I've grown to appreciate and that I look forward to when I do visit Mississippi. Um, And yeah, I do think it's very special that there are those like four houses, four or five houses down there that are all family because it's like, okay, we're going to walk across the street and then we're going to go to Aunt Evelyn's house. Um, Or yeah, it's just really, it's really a different it's just so it's so different from living in Connecticut and we just have this one house that I'm grateful for but you know um we don't have a lot of family in Connecticut so to come to Mississippi and have everybody right there um in this environment is really special that's awesome thank you now let's move on to those sisters so we counted eight in the fit, eight girls, counting your mom. Well, seven. Seven oh, sisters, oh. right? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And you you told me earlier, Terrilyn, that they were models for me. And we talked a little about a couple of those sisters in specific and what their activism or their like interface with racial injustice was. And I wonder if you'd be willing to tell your listeners about the sisters. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because sometimes it's just about watching people and what they do. And some of them are stories that I heard. You know, we grew up in Mississippi and I was talking to one sister because I was recalling to you where a couple of my siblings actually slapped some white people, you know, and and we were really saying we we could have gotten into some serious or they could have gotten into some serious trouble but questions regarding your one of my sisters said to me like this boy was just on the bus and i guess there was a girl that he liked on the bus and she was sitting in the seat like in between them and he kept reaching over her head to tap the other girl to play with her but he kept hitting her head and she told him to stop and he didn't and so she slapped him now, she did go to the principal's office, she said. Oh, so how old were they? I, for oh. some reason, I thought they were adults at that time. Oh, no, I don't think they've mm. slapped anybody as adults. I don't think so. But um, but the thing of it is, she still could have gotten into trouble for doing that. Like, more trouble than she did slapping a, a white kid, Right. Uh, And I had another sister, and I forgot to ask her about this before the show started, who I also know slapped someone else. I had a sister that I didn't know about until later when there was a march, a civil rights march in the town. She actually went to the march. I think she missed school to go to the march. And I think we found out at my father's funeral that he actually had been there watching her. She, I don't know that she knew that, but he went to watch her at a distance because I think it was high schoolers who were doing the march. I'm not sure, but he definitely, you know, was there to make sure that she was going to be okay. And he said, well, you know, cause I knew that there's no stopping her. If she was going to do it, she was going to do it. Right. And I think that the reason why, um, those things are significant to me 
because it's about standing up for yourself. Mm. Right. And so my older sister, well, my second oldest sister, I remember her leaving Mississippi and, you know, several of us, you know, followed along and lived in the area where she lived in after we got older. And I remember some of the experiences that she talked about, even at work or uh, in her neighborhood. I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm remembering this now, somebody threw a rock through her window. And to be honest with you, my siblings have shared with me that they've had more issues with racism in the North than they ever did when we grew up in the South. You know, we lived in North Mississippi, which was different from the Delta where Fannie Lou Hamer grew up, right? It was a little bit different from that. So there were indeed some experiences to happen that um, could have caused us some issues. There's some with the boys or or the men in my family, but we won't go to them today because we're talking about women's right. history. But So one of the things I wanted to ask you then about, because some of these stories I haven't heard before. So when your sister had a rock thrown through her window, what was her response to that? If I can remember correctly, I think she went walking down the street with something in her hand to look for the people who had thrown the rock. And if I'm not mistaken, a good friend of hers was like, get yourself back in my house because what are you going to do when you find it? Right. right. So it's about being strategic in the ways in which you fight back. Right. Because think about it, if it's a group of people or if it's one or two and they and they have the audacity to throw a rock in your house. What might they do if you find them and what might you do? See, that's the other thing about dismantling racism. You always have to think about your goal. Your goal isn't to uh, beat another person to a pulp. But it's really to do something that's going to change the system. Your goal isn't to do something that's going to land you in jail because that wouldn't serve a purpose. So we have to be strategic with what we do. Right. So now I want to turn to Tila. Did you know these stories? I knew some of them. I didn't know about the rock being thrown through the window or that my grandpa went to watch my aunt at a protest. I do believe I know that she went, um, but I did know like the slapping story. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so how do those stories inform each of you and how you move forward and what you think is important, where you want to stand up, where you want to push back, where you want to show yourself or, or not? Mm -hmm. I think oh, go, oh, ahead. No, go ahead go ahead okay I think it's almost like um listening to those stories is almost like a life lesson in multiple categories I think as I navigate like relationships and situations in college it's just knowing where to give my energy for certain things um and how to approach certain things like if there's um 
like a small problem or something that might have bothered me to know whether it's worth my energy and if it's something that I really want to bring up to that person or if it's something that I really feel like would help me um, in bringing it up, just knowing where to put that energy and also how to approach that situation. Mm-hmm. I know it's like yeah, a mental like break, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe I'll, I will hold my answer to after the break, if that's good with you, Angela. We'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. So we're back with the Dismantle Racism Show. If you're joining us today, the guest interviewer is Angela Todd. And we've been talking about what made me who I am. And before the break, you had a question for me, Angela, I think around how my sisters have modeled for me, uh, how it's influenced the work that I do. So I do want to just say what I've learned from my sisters, and I think that I'm I'm echoing what Tila is saying, is that there is a time and a place and a way to bring about change. When they were younger, perhaps maybe they did slap someone, but that wouldn't be what they would do now. I think we learned from our parents to sit back and to be reflective as well about what we do. And then we figure out the larger picture, as I was saying before. So I really think the work that I do speaks for what I learned when I was growing up and what I learned in my younger years from seeing 
my sisters navigate environments that were not always uh, kind to people of color, particularly, I'd want to say as women, right? There's the, there's the double whammy. So the stories that I heard about the racism that they experienced informed how I moved throughout the world at that, uh, you know, particularly when I was in more white spaces. Mm-hmm. And it really just informs the work that I do now. Now, so it's interesting because we haven't really talked about my mom and I know you're going to ask me about her as well. But one of the things I told you in preparation for this, there's almost no separation between my mom and my sisters in terms of the ways in which we show up in the world. Because quite frankly, whatever we do in this world, so first and foremost, I'm not going to do anything that's going to um, uh, dishonor who I am as a child of God, but I'm certainly not going to do anything that's going to dishonor my lineage and my mother or my father or even the grandparents I didn't know. I'm not going to do that because I know what they instilled in me. And, you know, I have an obligation to that. So, Tila, I see you nodding along to that. And I wonder if that's maintained its strength into the next generation or if you feel like you have a little bit of distance from it, like how does that feel to you to hear your mother say that? Well, I think it's interesting because it almost feels like I have some distance from it just because, um, you know, like I said, we grew up in Connecticut Mm -hmm. and we would visit um, maybe like once or twice a year when I was growing up. Um, so even though I spent time with my grandparents, I'm learning a lot about them through, um, my aunts and uncles. And I know with the passion and then obviously my mom, but I know with the passion that they talk about my grandparents, that I'm able to feel that as well, even though it's, Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up like right underneath my grandparents, and so I'm nodding because I'm about to go overseas um, to study abroad. And mm-hmm. so I was nodding because that will be its own unique situation. Like I was saying before, knowing where to put my energy for certain things. Um, I'm sure I will be experiencing some biases um, and some, maybe some prejudice. And so it's, wondering when to have that conversation, how to have that conversation, and knowing that by acting a certain way, I'm not only representing um, the communities I'm a part of, but also my family as well. Mm -hmm. So as my mom was saying that, it's like realizing that's something that I need to keep in mind as I'm abroad and also as I'm here as well. Right. And so thinking back to those seven sisters, and of course, I know that you're digitally tight, that there's texting and Zooming and calling and whatever. So what is that like to feel like you've got the matriarchy, what, looking over your shoulder, you know, gently guiding you? Like, how is that to have that really uh, throng of women Mm. in your life? 
it's something that I feel like I need to I know sometimes like you don't realize things until you're older but I'm like I want to fully realize this now you know if that makes sense yeah I want to realize the um like the I'm not sure the word I want to realize the benefits I guess you could say and just specialness is not a word but I'm uniqueness make it a word yeah I (laughs) yeah and so it really is like it really is special and so um I'm sorry repeat your repeat the last part of your questions for me well, I was wondering, having all the, you know, the throng of women, I have a bunch of aunts, and it can be awesome, and it can be a little bit, uh, so I wonder <laughs> if it felt a little bit like surveillance, or supported, or both, or something completely different, you know, there's a there's a lot to, there's a lot in that generation, I feel. Mm-hmm. I haven't met them all, but I've met a couple, and, you know, they're powerhouse women. Mm-hmm. I definitely... I definitely feel support more than surveillance. And I know if there is surveillance, it's um, with my health and safety in mind. But my aunts have like always, always, always been supportive. We've um, seen my aunts in the DMV area more often than my family in Mississippi. But even with my aunts and family in Mississippi, I still feel that love every time I see them as if I see them every single day. And to know that my actions can make them smile does make my heart feel very, very warm because it's like, oh, like, of course they love me type thing. And I think, as I was saying before, their support is something that I want to really tap into more as I'm going through these life lessons in college because it I know oftentimes it can feel like oh like I have my friends and like I have my mom my sister but it's also knowing that I have my aunts to call on because they've had experiences as well and not just that but like when I'm down there it's like okay if I'm having this issue I know that I can talk to them about it and get some help with that so it really is something special that I need to really tap into mm-hmm. in these next few years. And one of your aunts just messaged me. I'm smiling now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they are surveilling. <laughs> well, truth be told, but 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 Angela, truth be told, when you, often when you come from a big family, of course there's surveillance. Like in terms well, of, and I, think, I don't know if I would use that. Yeah. Right. I, you I don't said, know. You know, they're watching me and they'll report me to my oh parents. My gosh. But I didn't what? know if that held down to the next generation. Oh, well, I will say this. We're in each other's business. <laughs> I'll put it like that. And, and so... <laughs> I, I, I can't answer for Tila then, but they, I think they do know, especially their aunts in the DMV, they do know that um, they're watching them and supporting them and they're proud of them. And they, I, I believe they know that what they do matters because the aunts would say something, you know, right. one way right. or the other, even, even one will say, well, I'm not going to say anything, but, you know, um, so, <laughs> I, but here's the thing. 
I remember once there was a situation that was happening uh, in in our family of of like the like with me and the girls or whatever, and there was some support we needed for something. And I absolutely waited until the last minute to ask one of my sisters because it was a financial support that I mm. needed. I just felt like I don't I don't want to. I don't want to. Like I'm a certain age. I want to be able to do this all on my own and blah, blah, blah. And my sister, when I asked her, she says, well, why did you wait to the last minute? Because I waited to the, I mean, I waited <laughs> to the hour, 10th hour, whatever the saying is. And she said, why did you wait until the last minute to ask me? Because now I have to do this, this, this. Like if you had asked me, I could So she she said that, but it wasn't a complaint about offering the financial support. It was what she needed to do with her own finances to make sure it happened. And I remember Tila, I don't know if she will remember this, but after that, she just kind of said, man, like, it is so great. Something to this effect to know that we have our, like our aunties love us. They really, really support us. And so she, I just remember how like the smile that was on and it wasn't even for her necessarily. I think it was for uh, the other daughter at at the time, something that was going on with her. So, you know, they're modeling, they're modeling of even how to take care of, Mm. you see, one of the things that happened with my mother and father teaching us, we had a responsibility to one another and I didn't ever have to change any diapers and do all that all that stuff. But they were all responsible. Whoever the oldest was was responsible coming down, right? But there was because they were so loving and taking care of it's taught me to be that Angela. So that's why I can go out into the world. So that's the modeling. I can pour in the world because of what has been poured into me. So we have two minutes to the break. I don't know if we have time for this, but Tila, I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about your mother's power in terms of, I know that y'all went to a march, the leader either wasn't there or got shy at the last minute. And you and your sister, Ruby, both said, mom, get it started, mom, get it started. And I feel like this is a good way to bring this history into a culminating point. And I wonder if you'd say a few words about why? Why did you think she should do it? Um, I definitely think that's something I can address after the break, um, mm-hmm. just to get into it a bit more. But I was going to jump in there before and say oh, that um, even with my aunts, it's hearing about how they've been supportive like years ago within the family. Sometimes it does feel like, oh, my gosh, like that feels like so long ago there's no way that could happen now but of like aunts traveling because this happened and somebody had a kid but it's really like I know if I'm down here in Georgia and I call my aunt and I'm like you know if you could come and visit like that would be really nice I'm sure within the next week or two that they would be making plans to come and so again it's really just tapping into that well of love and knowing that that's there because 
I know I seek support from my close friends and my immediate family, but it's like that support feels really nice coming from my aunts, no matter what as well. And that's just something that I need to realize for myself, but I can definitely address um, that question after the break. And so I want to say something really quick before the break, because I know our time is going to be very short when we come back. Um, you ask about the age of the person at the slap, you know, was they were 15 or 16, right? So I just wanted to share that with the audience. Um, and then we are going to be right back for our final segment of today's show. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Okay, we're back. I'm Angela Todd, archivist and friend to Dr. Terrell and Curry Avery, and we have the inimitable Tila Avery, Dr. Curry Avery's daughter with us today. We've been talking about the matriarchy behind Terrell's work um, because it's Women's History Month. She does have men in her family, but we're concentrating on the women today. So, um, Tila, comment if you would on that last question that we had been discussing before the break. Yes. So when we went to that march, um, I do tell that story to my friends. Um, I'm very grateful that my mom was able to join us because I remember that day my sister and I were heading out the door and then my mom was like, actually, my girls are about to go to their first march. So I would love to join them. Um, and that and this was, was a, what year and shortly after the George Floyd murder, right? Yeah. So that was 2020. Um, yeah. During the summertime, we were wearing our mask and everything and it was outdoors. Um, 
but yes so it was about an hour away and that was a special day because you know my sister and I we were heading there and so the reason that I was telling my mom like you should go up there is because first of all we were all just standing around for like quite some time and it's just been a lifetime I was probably 18 at that point it's just been a lifetime of seeing my mom publicly speak whether that's in church or whether that's on in race related events um because when we were younger we would just like go to the event with her um that she might have been hosting in the community um or doing something so always like hearing it either um front row or in the background and then of course traveling to new york every weekend to see her preach so it's been a lot of public speaking on my mom's part and so as we were there at this protest that isn't really getting started we were just like why don't you just go up there and start like start something I don't know just come up with something to say and because she was up there and she started her preaching and it was good preaching well I don't know who was preaching but I'll say it's preaching um after that everyone kind of just started like coming into the circle and like sharing things that were weighing on them, maybe sharing their art. And I think even though it wasn't like a, okay, we're marching type thing, I think it was really special to get that inspiration and kind of hear from people in the community what's going on. And I think that's really special and almost like a badge I can wear because I'm like, oh, my mom really started to facilitate that because it was just I thought it would be a great moment for her to show up yeah and it sounds like it was yes and 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 here is the thing when we talk about how everything just runs right like a string that runs through it what it taught me in that moment was so first of all my girls are always watching but the legacy that I'm leaving for them is that they can do this too and I don't even know if they know this. I think they know this because, you know, they've read the book. Um, that march was great in terms of what happened and what we were able to do and people, you know, sharing and all of that. But the greatest thing in the world was when they said, that's my mom up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, like literally for days, I, that just kept ringing in my head and I would smile because they were like, that's my mom up there. And so what we do matters. And we can yes. think that it doesn't. Yes. What if I didn't stand up that day? What if I just decided, like I initially said, I didn't organize this. I had just preached, which is why they were going by themselves. Because I was preaching virtually and I thought they were going to leave before my service was over. I had had a full morning already. And had even said to them, we're not getting up there in the middle of everybody because COVID is still going on. And then there I was right there in the middle of everything. I was very proud for, I'm still very proud, but after that day, it was like, it's just very special to like see my mom go up there and do something that takes a lot of courage, even though she has been in the public eye with public speaking um, but that was very, yeah, she got the crowd 
fired up. Yeah, her usual public speaking is in a really controlled environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to uh, move us from Tila's mother to Terilyn's mother, because I don't want this episode to close without talking about Elmira. And one of the stories that I've heard about her is that back in the day when everybody was in Mississippi, there was a really poor white family that lived nearby that called one of your brothers the N-word. And My nephew. My nephew. Your nephew. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you would tell us the rest of that story. And Teal, I don't know if you've heard it. And if you want to comment, please jump in as she tells it. So this family was poor and illiterate as well. So that, that wanted to just give you context for them, but yet still thought they were better than we were. And so um, the my nephew was playing with the grandson of um, of the family, and I don't know what happened. And I don't know if he hit him and did something. They called him the N word. Then came to our house to use the telephone to call the sheriff to. This is how I knew that she called him that because she's standing at our house to use the phone. And she says to the sheriff that she wanted him to come down to arrest my nephew, the N word who hit her grandson. Right now, my nephew was like two or three or something. Right. Like little. Um, So actually, I don't even know why he would have been up there playing with them. But that's a whole nother story because I don't I don't can't remember that. So. So my cousin was down from the north. My auntie from next door was there and she, she lost it. She was like, what? How dare you come to our house and call the cops on, you know, the, the, her, it's her nephew. Right. And she was ready to lay in to this woman, but my cousin, well, so here's the thing. So my cousin from the north said she can't even tell the police how to get here. So don't even worry. So we told our mom when we got home that day, and my mom was just cool and calm about it. And she just basically said, well, they don't know any better. So when that lady came down or sent her kid down a couple of days later to borrow some sugar from us, what did you think my mother did? She gave her sugar because my mother understood that she absolutely didn't know any better. And she wasn't going to let somebody else change who she was. And that's the other thing about dismantling racism. We get to decide how we're going to respond. Again, my my siblings who slapped someone were not violent people or abusive people at all. Well, they were in junior high, right? Right. Like, you know, yeah. whatever, 15, 16. But, but, but the yeah. point is this. When we're in this fight to dismantle racism, and we only got two minutes left, um, we can't let other people change who we are. And that's why we have to be informed of the situation. We have to get our emotions in check, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have to um, respond to situations and not react. And because of who my mother was, my mother, uh, people all over just remember my mother and, and I've shared this with you, Angela, my mother died at 94. And I have you know, mentioned this to several people. My mother had over 200 people at her wake and about 300 people at her funeral. That doesn't happen 
so often 94. when you're at 94, right? Mm-hmm. But the but the fact of the matter is she was loved. Yes, Angela. So we have up. one we minute left, and I actually want Tila to close us out if you're willing to. <laughs> and just talk about how you see this matriarchy, let's call it, um, informing your place in the world, let's say. So I don't know if you're, I don't know you that well. I don't know what your activism or social justice work is like, or if it's really more of a lifestyle. You know, I think the next generation, Terrilyn, it's different. So, so unfortunately, no, Angela, we don't have time for dinner. Oh, no. Sorry. I should because we got about 30 seconds left of the show. I can say just real quick through my art and my mindset. I can just short little answer. We might have to come back for another episode. I want to thank you, Angela Todd, for, again, another brilliant interview. I want to thank you, Tila Avery, for being on the show. And I want to thank you, our listeners, and those of you who were chiming in during the show. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show and tell others about the show. And stay tuned for the Sam Leibowitz uh, show, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Until next time, be well, be safe, and be encouraged. Bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in i'm sandra bargeman the host of the edge of every day which airs each monday at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges that's the edge of every day on mondays at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. 
Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about help to advocate for all of us. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 